Thanks for tuning in to Why Theory. On this episode, Todd and I complete our Where to Start and Where Not to Start trilogy by talking about Martin Heidegger, Alain Bajou, Giorgio Agamben, Judith Butler, and Jacques Derrida. We give our recommendations on where the invested reader might begin with each of these thinkers, and, spoiler alert, Todd picks pretty much anything that has to do with Hegel. As always, thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Okay, hello. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. Todd, how are you? Hi, Ryan. I'm good. Excellent. Uh, Today we are uh, closing, at least for now, unless... uh, Anybody uh, comes up that we think we should have talked about and didn't, Uh, but we are ending the uh, Where to Start, Where Not to Start series, and uh, we're going to begin with someone who I have not even started reading. It's a a shame that I have to admit. Uh, It's uh, Martin Heidegger. So, so you will have the best opinion on Heidegger. And where I will. Going. You know what? We should actually come back to this, and I'll tell you if you were right about what you're going to okay. recommend to start okay. with. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to recommend Being in Time, which is uh, mm-hmm. Herculean. But yeah, I I'm, I'm looking it, at it right now. I have it on my shelf. I've big. never cracked it's, it. Yeah. It's like 400 pages. Um, <laughs> and it's hard, and it's really, uh, 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 you know, it's a tough place to begin, but I, I, I almost think that it's unlike, I mean, I think there are easier little pathways, like there's a mm-hmm. little lecture he gave called What is Metaphysics? And I think that's pretty, that's pretty good, and it's, you know, 25 pages, but in terms of, like, full books, I don't feel yeah. like there's another one that, that does what being in time, I mean, not, that's a silly thing to say, but does what being in time does, or that even provides a similar kind, like, his later work, he has this turn in the 1930s away mm-hmm. from the philosophy of being in time and so there's not really a later more accessible work that that gives you a sense of what Heidegger mm-hmm. was doing in his early thought and the, and the and I mean there are these like um, there are these lecture series that he gave around the time of being in time so like Kant and the problem of metaphysics uh, basic problems of phenomenology uh, so there, and those are those are pretty good, um, and maybe maybe the basic problems of phenomenology would be a better, maybe slightly easier place to start. But but the problem is that they don't give really everything that that being in time gives. So he gives this mm. the, he gives of course you know the importance of being towards death for him. Right. Uh, he he gives a great analysis of what he calls dasman or, or the they. It's translated as the they. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is the translation is kind of a funny thing. So, so Macquarie and Robinson, and I think '62, mm-hmm. provided the original English translation. I think for Harper Collins. Yeah, and then um, that's right because I'm looking at it. <laughs> and then in the '90s yeah. or the two th- maybe early 2000s, Joan Stambaugh, who's a great Heidegger scholar, wrote. Mm-hmm. She corrected the translation, but you know, for they, there were you know the translation was you know forty years old something, and you know they, the Sunni I think wanted to come out with a and by the way the Sunni editor told me that book being the mm-hmm. translation new translation being in time, actually made more money than any other title seriously in their, in their library yeah. Yeah, so that was. I mean, I don't know if that's still true, but that was mm. true. He, he's like, he's like, your book is catching up to it now. <laughs> uh, so what uh, you're telling me basically is, I got to buy a new copy of Being in Time. Pretty much. Uh, which one do you? Ha- no, no, no. I'm actually. I've got the, gonna, Har- I've got the no, Harper Collins. You're gonna recommend so that one? I'm actually gonna say that what's fascinating is it's a case where the new translation came out, everybody initially bought it, and then 
they the old one remained the standard. And they wow. even and Sunni even published a corrected version of the new and the old continued to remain the standard. So seriously, wow. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. So my I what I'm going to tell you is keep that copy and do uh-huh. not get rid of it. And and you know, I I immediately went out. I had read the early one and I immediately mm-hmm. went out and got the new one. And at the time I didn't know German, so it was I did. I mean, it read a little not as great as the earlier mm-hmm. one, but I wouldn't didn't make any kind of judgment. But I do now think the earlier one is the it remains the better one. Oh, wow. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, it was done when Heidegger was alive, but he wasn't consulted. So it's mm-hmm. not like Freud. Like it would be hard to right. replace the standard edition since he approved it. You know, it would be right. weird. It would be weird. Like, oh, now we have a better translation than Freud. I mean, when right, right. Freud approved that one. Um, you know, there's just a quick thing on that. I, yeah. I was reading this. Um, oh, uh, I forget who uh, the author was. I, I want to give credit, but um, I was reading something about the uh, project for uh, scientific uh, psychology. Right. And there's when um, uh, Freud is recounting the uh, the trauma suffered by uh, Emma Eichert um, the, at, at the excellent. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the uh, at the store, I, don't, I for whatever reason I think of it as a grocery store, but I don't think that's actually ever uh, made clear. But um, there's a, a section where um, Strachey, do you say Strachey or do you say Strachey? How do you say Strachey? I think Strachey. Okay, um, he translates. Uh, he tra- translates the the shopkeeper grabbed at her th- her genitals through the. Oh, oh you're talking oh, about oh, the, the young the, yes. the young homosexual. So that's on Emma Eckstein. So you're okay. you're probably right about who the who it is. Okay, all right, yeah. So um, he anyway. So what in the standard edition it says the shopkeeper grabbed at her. But um, I was reading this thing that um, Strachey he changed it. That I, I I don't know what it is in German, but what the actual translation would be in uh in in english is the high-minded man that's what he says like and and so in the english what you lose is this like sensitivity and empathy that like freud was like he's he's freud is calling out this guy he's not like like dispassionately recounting this like patient's like uh, sexual trauma like he's kind of like he's sort of like feeling how how bad it was and she was one of the first um I believe, like one of the first patients that he wrote about. So I mean, it makes the project so was the translation makes straight makes Freud seem more like, like cold hearted scientist kind of. Yeah, like distance from it. Yeah, yeah. So that was just like a little. Yeah, that's thing. interesting. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. kind of interesting. Anyway, so that's anyway, that, yeah, that's yeah. my Heidegger recommendation is that yeah. that you read that tra- earlier translation of Being in Time, and I, I mean good. it's it's so it's very very hard, and um, you know, so I I mean there's some good. The thing is there's some good commentaries. There's um. You know, Rattledge, I think they stopped doing it. I don't know why I published these philosophical guidebooks to different mm. works. And the mm-hmm. one on Heidegger, I think it's by Stephen Melville. It's really, really good. Mm. It's really good. Or, or it's, it's called like uh, Rattledge Philosophical Guidebook to Heidegger and Being in Time. And it's, okay. I think, I actually think this is a crazy thing to say, but I think <laughs> it's the best book written on Being in Time, even though really? it's just a silly kind of introduction. Yeah, I just wow. really, really like it. Those don't normally like rise to the level of the, no. the text that they're they're talking no, about. No, they don't. In fact, the one the ones on well, I don't know. The, there's one on Hegel's phenomenology. It's pretty. I think it's Robert Stern. Yes. Yeah, you it's, recommended that to me. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. <clears throat> the one on philosophy of history is is terrible. But um, the problem is that you know people 
the philosophy of history, as we talked about when we talked about yeah. Hegel, is the most misunderstood mm. um, part of his his work. But uh, just for to go back to Heidegger, I mean, I feel like the the place where not to start. It's interesting where not to start. I mean, so there's all these translation things. So the so in the mid '30s, he during this turn or this carré is what the, is the mm-hmm. German term. Um, he published or he didn't publish, but he wrote this contributions to philosophy. Okay. And this he thought was his major work of the of the of the middle period. And mm-hmm. he didn't he never published it in his lifetime. It was published mm-hmm. subsequent um in his collected works. And and it was published so Indiana had an initial translation of it. Okay. And it was so ill received that the Whoa. same press had it retra- just retranslated with different different translator they did. <laughs> so they like usurped their own translation so that would be one where not to begin i also yeah. think where not to begin this of course needs a whole episode is the right the, the rectorship address the nazism question mm-hmm. so he it's mm-hmm. called the self-assertion of the german university is the gotcha. name of it and it's probably not a good but i i actually think any of the later heidegger sort of eh, and it doesn't really i think that there what's gets lost is this you know this discussion of the they and and all the relationship to death and and the focus is to, ceases to be on the individual and becomes on the history of being and then that mm-hmm. to me is a real problem although he what's fascinating is he viewed it as he was i think he thought this that he was moving away from the thing that tempted him toward nazism mm. you know like but like yeah. it was his investment in the individual dasein Right, which is his name for, so Dasein is a fascinating term too. So it's never translated in in any of the translations Mm -hmm. of being in time. So Dasein means, literally, it means being here, being there. Mm. But so Da is here, right there, right here, and can I can I just this is one thing I know, and and I wonder what you'll you probably you probably know this already. This is the one thing I know is um, the from uh Joan Kopchak, I'll just cite my source because this okay. isn't my idea, is um to think of the da as in Fort Da from Freud and to think of being as thrown. Yeah, I think that's right. That's, yeah. I think that's really good. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a real I mean so it is like, because his whole the whole point of being and time is that we're thrown into be like what yeah. is what he calls thrownness, we're thrown into being. But what's interesting about Dasein though is so it's it's usually broken apart in the translation, but mm-hmm. it's a normal German word. It just okay. means existence. So, mm-hmm. so it's a fascinating thing. If you think like, oh, well, what Heidegger's really, he's just talking about existence. Mm-hmm. And it, of course, makes him more proximate to Sartre, which would upset him. But uh, <laughs> it also, I think, you know, kind of demystifies that. It ceases to be this. It, it is true that Heidegger was constantly creating his own specialized vocabulary. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that makes that makes being in time such a hard book to mm. to read, you know, like in, in in contrast to phenomenology, which is also a hard book to read, but the phenomenology of spirit is that Hegel never invent I don't think he ever once invents a word. Mm. And Heidegger invents a ton of words. Mm. Which is puts sort of I mean Lacan, of course. Invents right. a ton of words too. So you linguist tricks, right? That's yeah, linguist yeah. tricks or yeah. linguist or la longue, yeah. all yeah. that kind of crap. I just, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's the weakest. 
I mean, I, I love the fact that Hegel doesn't invent words. And I feel mm. like the inventing of, you know, th- this is sort of Deleuze's, you know, that idea in Deleuze of what the philosopher does is invent concepts. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's not, I think that, that that fits with Heidegger, but it doesn't fit with, with Hegel. So mm. anyway, so that's, that's mm, our little, that's enough on Heidegger probably. Right. Yeah. Which we will come back to, right? Cause you, I mean, we talked about before the show that, um, I mean the big, the big thing, you know, which you alluded to, of course, is the uh, Heidegger and, and Nazism. And that's like a whole, uh, yeah, I think we should talk we about that. It's an interesting, yeah. I think it's an interesting question. I mean, I know I was at the a meeting of the Heidegger circle, which it, you have to be, I was just a guest sort of interloper. Mm-hmm. Brought, but 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 to be a member of the circle, you have to be nominated by someone in the circle. And I found it fascinating how little Nazism plays in their, the little of a part it plays in their discussions of Heidegger. Hmm. You know, so it's really, like it's completely it's like written out of history. Well, I I wouldn't go that far. Okay. And but but it doesn't. There's no sense that it might like invalidate certain mm-hmm. things. Or so maybe that's right. Mm-hmm. Or complicate. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I used to think it just didn't at all, but I've kind mm-hmm. of changed my mind about that. It's funny that I just two days ago visited the Holocaust Museum, so yeah. I have a sense of that horror. But, uh, I mean, not that I didn't have a sense of the horror before, but um, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I used to think, you know, it was just, it was, you could kind of keep them separate. And I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think that anymore, but... I, I think well, it's easier it, I mean, in the case of an artist than a philosopher, I guess I would say. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because with the philosopher, it's like what you're trying to track is like their, you're trying to track their epistemology. How is this person thinking about this thing? And you can't really like... Right, and also yeah. isn't philosophy is a kind of, is a guide to how to live your life. And so if, they, yeah. if their philosophy led them to, to, that. to support Nazism, then that's a problem. I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I used to just think Heidegger didn't know it, but he was a radical leftist, and oh, I see. Um, so I had this whole theory, and then and the, that that and that everything after being in time was a betrayal of that of the hmm. leftism and being time. It's interesting that that is a theory sort of shared by Herbert Marcuse, who, who interesting who wrote he didn't write a book, but it was collected after his life called Heideggerian Marxism, hmm. and it's pretty good. It's hmm. pretty good. I mean, it's it's pretty convincing. I mean. It's uh, it's not where to start with Marcuse, but it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's not bad. That's, that's interesting. Right. Well, at least I I guess I wonder with um, I mean this isn't a um, not an apology uh, for Heidegger at all. Um, but to talk about Heidegger and Nazism does um rest the idea away from that the Nazis were bad people, like which they obviously were, but that's why they did what they did because they were bad yeah. people, yeah. and that it's actually an effect of you know political theoretical thinking right and i think that's you're a, right yeah and that's the thing that we don't that's not in discourse right when you have again not to do well, the podcast not, i mean it's, it's you, certainly not in the holocaust museum i mean there's no <laughs> sense that it's a political act it's a, it's a they were bad guys you know yeah like they, they, i mean you know i had a funny moment when i said to one of my sons theo i said you know that's not exactly right and he, he turned to me and i said uh you know, it didn't exactly happen like that. It was a political movement. It wasn't. And he mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. he goes, he goes, dad, it's a museum. They know more than you. <laughs> I said, I said, oh, you know, maybe they do. Maybe, but maybe not too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's, I mean, that is, I mean, that is the whole, again, we can talk about that in the Heidegger and Nazism, uh, uh, episode, but, but like, that's, I mean, that is the, the thing like a museum, it does. I mean, it freezes something in time and it tells you like, this is, this is the way that it is. 
But and, it tends to moralize too. I mean, I, I think it yeah. has to because if it was political, then like we we saw people walking through there with MAGA hats, you know, "Make America Great Again" hats. Are you serious? I did. Yeah, there were three. <laughs> Dashiell saw them. I didn't see them. One of my other son, uh, and which is surprising, right? And then right. because we had it, there was another moment where a, son, a father said to his son, "Read that." That's what's happening right now about the Nazi propaganda. So yeah, yeah, so it was kind of fascinating. But I think you could, but the way they set it up, I think you could you could wear a "Make America Great" hat in there and feel okay because Which, it's all because it, it's not political. It's if not you political. reduce it to a moral problem, like yeah. these people were morally wrong, they were morally they were morally bankrupt. Right? Yeah, for reasons that a bad we guy. Yeah, yeah. Hitler's a bad guy, and no, that's of like course the, he's a bad guy, yeah. but he was yeah. a politically mm-hmm. bad guy, right? Right, right, and right. That yeah. just—it's funny how that is. Just—it's not funny. It's—it's it's telling how that is repressed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, but I. So back to your point about Heidegger, I think you're right that that's what's really nice about the Heidegger situation is that he was a fine guy. He was a good guy, mm. but it—it it was a political. It was a political error on his part, not a, and a philosophical one. Mm-hmm. Not a not a moral failing, you know. Right. I mean, maybe it's a moral failing ultimately, but 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 you have to consider morality in political terms. You mm-hmm. know, you can't. Do you divorce, know this? You, you probably know this. I I don't, I don't know who said this. That um, up in like for for most of human history, uh, morality came from religion. But for the twentieth and twenty first century, morality came from the Holocaust. I don't know who said this. Oh, I don't know who said that. That's that's good. It's, it's interesting. Good. And it's good, except it's terrible. It's exactly right. terrible. Well, yeah. but it's it, it it names exactly the problem that we're talking about, which yeah. is that like if what you take is just the moral lesson and you do not take the political lesson, right. then you know first is tragedy, then is farce, right? Like yeah. that's 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 yeah, what. No, the, I agree. Yeah. I totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's let's move on to Alain Badu. Alain who has, Badu, yeah. who has less political baggage, although <laughs> interestingly, he uh, supported Pol Pot. So, is that right? Yeah, we do have a little political baggage. Yeah, yeah. And Mao, of course, my God. And Mao. He's still a Maoist. I mean, yeah. I think he would say that about himself. So there's a little, you know, it's the opposite end of the political spectrum. But Interesting. But still uh, some some things that you maybe don't want to hang your hat on. Well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Def- I mean, I would not call myself a Maoist. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so you have a good take on this. I, let's, let's I do. You know, OK, yeah. well, so, um, yeah, I haven't I haven't given a recommendation this episode because we started out of out of uh, my end of the pool. Yeah. Um, but now we're swimming in my territory, Todd. So yeah, I yeah, bring yeah. you down yeah. um, the my my pick is um, something which I'll not say who said this. Uh, someone referred to this as a book that is not a book. Um, it is uh, philosophy and the event, which is a series of interviews It's probably just one long interview. Um, with uh, Alain Badiou, and I'm going to grab it from my shelf so I can, I think it's, I want to say the person's name is Julian, nope, Fabian Tarby is the person he does the interview with, and it is just, you will not find a clearer um, uh, discussion, articulation of of Badiou's system, like the whole thing, like you can read... You can read that book, and I, I think you can read that book, and then you can read Being an Event, and you know where you are. Wow! I, wow, I really that's high I, praise. Yeah, I yeah, I read that I really, book. Yeah, because I thought it's, it's just kind of a, like a. It's a book that's I not do a book for beginners. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. 
Maybe someday I'll teach it. Though, in fact, that gives me the reason to teach it that you recommended it. So I totally think it's. I to- absolutely think that it is the most teachable of of his uh, of his books. Um, I again, I don't want to say who this was, but just just the. I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe you could track my statements back, and you probably figure out who I'm talking about. But we, uh, it was discussion of Baju in a classroom I was in, and I had this book with me, and this book was not assigned, but I just had it with me. And there was an argument in the classroom about a point Baju was making. I'm not. I really, really wish that I remember what it was. It may have been something about love, and I just like I raised my hand because I happened to be on a on a page where he was talking about it, and I just I read out a section of this interview, and it stopped like the classroom. Really? So yeah, people and the, got it based. On yeah, that. yeah, wow. and the and the professor said like, "Wow, that's that's really clear." What is that from? Like that was anyway. Yeah, and then. Uh, then the book was referred to as a book that's not a book, but it did not mean that's not a, not a good book. Um, no, it doesn't mean that at all. And in fact, that can mean it's a better book. I I'm, I haven't read that, so I'm going to say yeah. so. I maybe I would be, agree with you, but I'm going to say the the book on Paul. Paul oh, okay, Saint that's Paul, great. the invention is it the invention of the universal? So mm. I I feel like that it's short. It's like 125 pages or something, and it and it really I think gives a good. A really good sense of what the event means for him in the in the relationship between situation and event. Oh, that's interesting. I think it nicely and nicely. Um, d- what's interesting is though that religion for Badu cannot be a truth procedure, right? So there are four truth oh, yeah. procedures. There's mm-hmm. politics, excuse me, art, science, and love, and mm-hmm. and religion. And his reason, and so he 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 kind of discovers the event in an area that cannot have an event. Yeah. Right? So that's sort of fascinating. Um, and he says religion cannot be a truth procedure because it's not true. Right, right. He refers right, to right, something right. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's imaginary. Hmm. So I think that's a fascinating... So, I mean, his take on religion in, 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 as a whole, I think, is pretty, is pretty interesting just because it's so negative. It's almost as negative <laughs> as Freud's. Uh. You know, it's really, really... Like, he sees religion as the opposite of philosophy, and again, mm. to contrast with Hegel, like Hegel thinks religion is basically philosophy for the masses, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a totally different um, way of thinking. And he just thinks for like he thinks any fear of Islam, Islamists is, is just just it's like Islam is just it's just it's pure like superstructure. It's it's, it's evanescent. It's not going right. to have any lasting impact on anything. So. Hmm. He, that's why he this whole like debate in France about the head scar. He just is like it's ridiculous. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Let them wear what they want. It's like yeah. religion just doesn't matter. But anyway, that is interesting because that that puts him. I mean, that puts him um, on like a on a on a progressive plane. That like he's there for totally different reasons. I think for other people. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, yeah. I think he deeply is a progressive, actually, and I think that yeah. that would be the point at which I would distance myself from him like i think he believes that sort of what i i was just reading this at the martin luther king exhibit the moral arc of history is long but it bends toward justice i think mm. i kind of think that i think that's absurd and i think <laughs> that sort of thinks that you know hmm. obama used to love to quote that remember? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well it's well because does that not i mean i guess the problem with that is it sort of it it defers it defers to to an external what yeah, will yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah. of a collective right. unconscious. To right. Like and that imagine things. that there's some like big other that exists, right? Right, like right. The, the, a guiding hand, but right. the, which is a, that's my problem with the event. That the event has to be pro- 
progressive in some sense. You know, like mm. like Nazism for Badu, it's absolutely not an event. Like Holocaust's not an event. Right, right. There's the there's almost a moralistic uh, rider. Well, right. There's, to well, it. There, or there's some notion that behind it, history is progressing forward. Like, mm. like yeah. I, I never understood. I asked him I, when I was I saw him, and he, he, you know, it was mm. he was he didn't want to talk about it i mean he just wanted, it just i mean it was just a we only had like 10 seconds to talk so it wasn't yeah gonna be, it wasn't gonna can be i can i read you what he says about the event in this yeah. book because yeah. i've used this to um i've used this to talk about uh narrative in my uh classes as like t- to to not talk about like events in a film but as like a narrative event big yep. e like yep. that there's one thing that uh, ruptures the you know existing situation yep. and this is what I use he says that for me an event is something that brings to light a possibility that was invisible or even unthinkable an event is not by itself the creation of a reality it is the creation of a possibility it opens up a possibility it indicates to us that a possibility exists that has been ignored and that's great that, it's yeah I mean again if you know about you it's probably very obvious but that's no, just... but it's also I, I don't you think it's just a compelling notion of the idea of an event? I mean, it's just, he, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, he he. I think that's his great philosophical contribution. That's why I love the religion. But I mean, I think the idea of the different truth procedures. I, I yes. I I just don't get it. I mean, like four? <laughs> why four? Why not the seven? Or you know? Yeah. No, I just yeah. I find that kind of arbitrary. But the the idea of the event, I really find just really, really compelling, and especially the way you just, he describes it and the way you just described it. I mean, he's a significant, significant, significant thinker. Mm. Um, Do you want to wait? Hold on, hold on. Do you want to weigh in on the Slavoj thing with that people read about you because Slavoj referenced him? I do think that's true. You think that's true? I do think, I think it's absolutely true that if Slavoj Is that ticklish subject or is that... that Well, that's, no, but it happens even earlier. It happens, I think it's like a, sentence or a footnote and for they know not what they do so that's 91 92 really early yeah and then ticklish subject he gets a whole badu gets a whole chapter gotcha or a whole section and then you know like being in time theory of the subject these books weren't translated into english before then you know Mm. so so badu i think is based and and it's not like being an event sorry you mean right what did i say being you said being in time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah um so so it's not like, oh, Badu was a great thinker, well-known in France, and just Slavoj brought him into the world. It's, it, it happened the opposite. So hmm. Slavoj made the world aware of Badu, and then, yeah. and then he became Badu became a great and very important thinker in France. So That's, that's really funny. It's fascinating. Um, it's, they're great friends, so I don't think there's any animus. Yeah. Between that's them. like Although, uh, but but the pet pet oh, sorry. no god god no I was just gonna make a stupid thing but that's like the um uh, pet sounds was a huge album in England and it flopped in America and now now in America that's the greatest Beach Boys album it's the greatest Beach Boys album anyway right. yeah right no it's it's interesting but uh, uh, they're great friends but the 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 relationship is so one sided I think that hmm. you know Slavoj has all of the sophisticated interrogation of Badu's position, but there's no reciprocity. <laughs> like Badu in uh, Logic of Worlds, he has, or some mm-hmm. book, I don't know, he has a, like a paragraph long footnote to Slavoj. You know, That's he's it. my comrade in p- contemporary poly- philosophy. Both. Yeah. It's nice, but mm-hmm. that's a far cry from what Slavoj, but you know, I mean, to, to for, hmm. in defense of Badu, a lot of what Slavoj does is sort of reacting against other 
that's that thinkers and and Badu just doesn't care about that. You yeah, know, he just basically yeah. is doing his thing and not, mm. you know, not responding to critics and and doing mm. all that kind of thing, which maybe is the better way to do. But it, I just I do note the kind of disproportionate, mm. you know, attention funny. that each other they give <laughs> each other. So, do you have a not where not to start with Badu for Badu? I um, I think just so I started with Badu with uh, conditions and yeah. um. What it, idiot was, had you read that first? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who it was. Yeah. Uh, some, some, some old bald guy, right? Yeah, like that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it and was. You thought that was bad. A bad. Thing. No, I did. I I just didn't get it. I mean, I was a first year master student, so I mean, that's you know, and, and that, so that would was, be yours. Yeah, that was hard. Yeah, but I mean, that's too that's too personal. I I yeah. I, I I don't think I would. I was I, would go. I was gonna say being an event. Like I think You're it's just say too hard. I mean, yeah, all the all the set theory and the, I mean, God, like, you know, maybe that's actually the issue for me in conditions is that like, there's a lot of that. There was a lot of that. And that that's hard for me. And anytime, anytime Lacan does math, it's, it's, it's hard for me. And, and I, I have to, I have to think about, I have to, I have to blow through it. I have to get to the, you know, overarching philosophical point that he's yeah. making. I have to think about that. I have to maybe read because Slavoj is so great at this. Like, I have to read some pop cultural example that Slavoj yeah. interrogates and shows how it's you know evocative of the, of that thing and representative of it. And this is where it fails and, and whatever. And then I got to go back to the thing, and then I can start to I can start to begin to understand it. It's very very hard for me. Okay, so and being so, an event has zero cultural examples so that yeah so that's you know, a so tough that's, that's why tough, i said you, it would you be need, a disaster to begin there I yeah think. you need philosophy for me you need philosophy and the event to go through because he's just he's saying all these things like right. the example of the event that i gave and you it, i think it's important to have almost i don't know to think of it as like the um the rocket booster that gets the space shuttle up into yeah, orbit yeah. right like yeah, you, I think you that's need good. You need something like that. Um, at least I do, because I, the set theory stuff is, is, is really beyond me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard it's, for me to make I, sense I, of. I, you know, the problem is that I know a lot of um, uh, American theorists who spent all this time learning it. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, for what? Like, it, it's good for understanding Badu, but then what does it get you mm-hmm. outside of that? It does, it's not going to help you read anyone <laughs> else. It's not going to help you read a Gombin. Yeah. You know, or, yeah, Judith Butler, or you know, and you're never going to become a mathematician. Like it's just, you know, that's yeah. not happening. Like you're just. Do, you, you, can I ask so, you this question? Yeah. Does yeah. he need it for his points? Like that? No, that's. I mean, his that, his. I think it. Not really, but okay. I do think it would be tough. So one of his claims is that mathematics is right. ontology, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I think if he didn't know anything about mathematics, yeah, right. it would be hard. I mean, what he's trying to do, I mean, I don't think he needs it to be, to make his argument, but what he's trying to do is ground his philosophy in right. Right. like the axioms of set theory. So mm-hmm. I do think in that sense, he probably does need it like to make a convincing argument. But the problem I have is it's still axiomatic. You know what I mean? Like it's... Yeah. it's um, you know, like you have axioms that you just have to accept, and mm-hmm. then you go from there. And and I, I don't want to. I keep coming back to Hegel in this conversation, <laughs> but I mean, Hegel's yeah. point is always that philosophy can't be axiomatic ever, yeah. in the way that mathematics has to be. So, yeah. so there's a, like to me, that's the great divide between Kant and Hegel is that for Kant, 
mathematics is the ideal that philosophy aspires to, and mm-hmm. for Hegel, mathematics is the trap that philosophy has to has, has to, to avoid or yeah. overcome. Yeah, so because mm-hmm. it's not dialectical, right? Like mathematics cannot yeah. think; it's analytic. It's not dialectical. Or it, well, well, isn't yeah. this where the Bertrand Russell thing comes in? The set well, that does not include abs- itself. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Russell's paradox, right? And yeah. That's right. for for Badu. That's extremely important. Right. And right. also, yeah, you know, Cantor and transfinite set there. I mean, so there's. I think there. I think there is a reason why he does it, but I don't yeah. think you need to understand set theory to understand him. Yeah. So, so that's I th- why I think it's. A, I think it's a. You know the French term "fausse piste," like a, a yeah. false trail, like a mm. you know you don't want to, you don't want to go down. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. If you if you have the time <laughs> and you think set theory is interesting, but yeah, you know. But isn't like I mean I think that the the the, par- the Russell's paradox is that like that to me I think that's that's the great lesson because that that um is that's evental, right? I, like, I think that's absolutely evental, and it yeah. I mean it destroyed. I mean it. Gottlieb Frege, right? he never yeah. recovered from it. He like never, he, he, yeah. he, he, it destroyed, he understood once he got the letter from Russell yeah. explaining this paradox. I mean, we could spend a whole time on Russell. We could do a whole <laughs> thing on explaining Russell's paradox. But yeah. um, but once he got the letter explaining Russell's paradox, which is basically that you can't, that that every set, it's, it's, a, it's, it's slightly related to Girdle and incompleteness, mm-hmm. but the way that, that a set can't, uh, or you, you can never have a, that there's always this kind of rupture within eternal internal within any set, yeah. and and uh, he got it to like destroyed him, you know. Like he, I think you know he figured out a way to kind of bring it in and then, mm-hmm. and then save his theory. But but and, and even Russell's way of dealing with it is really kind of wacky, you know. It's and it didn't doesn't he try really... to suggest it was a joke he was making? Like it was no, not no, no, serious. No, 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 is that wrong? No, 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 he came up with what he called the theory of descriptive. So he came, what what Russell tried to say was there are just different levels of sets. So this so you, to the set of all sets that don't include themselves. That's Russell's paradox. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he just said it's a kind of a category error. Like it's a, oh, okay. you That's can it. put things at different sets at different levels, and then you avoid the problem. But mm-hmm. that I don't think that's no, it's not right. That's not and I, and and I think there's a way in which. Um, well, isn't that like this is I mean, Baju says this all the time. Like, I love this. I think it's it's a great example of the real and Lacan. But like um, the a set of numbers, it doesn't include infinity because it's not a number. But infinity is that's the last number. You need that for certain kinds of math. Like right. that's it's it's the thing that is impossible in the field, but it closes the field. Right. You know, it, right. it cannot be incorporated in it, but it is constitutive of it, you know, like, and that's, I, I think that's a, a, a wonderful uh, thing to think through. Right. And the other thing for Badu is important about, about set theory is that, and this comes from Cantor, that you can count like that, that the size, like all infinite sets are not the same size, which is a kind of fascinating thing to think about hmm. because you think like, wait a minute, if it's infinite, it's infinite. Right, and, right. <laughs> and Cantor's point is there's different, there's different size, like, the set of all natural numbers is a mm-hmm. smaller set than the set of all real numbers, even though they're both infinite sets. Yeah. So it's a yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's sort of interesting. Um, anyway, so so but that's there's too much of that in being an event, <laughs> and that's not a good place to start. I do want to just mention one thing that I think sure. my I think the great Badu book, and this is a very much of a minority report, and Badu would not <laughs> like this at all, is theory of the subject. 
It's, okay. very, it's early. It's his first major book, and I think it's really, really great. And, mm. uh, you know, uh, some I once said it to someone, and they said, of course you would like that best because it's the closest to Hegel and the closest to look on. So, <laughs> so anyway. there you go. All yeah. right, so let's, should, we, should we move on to Agamben? Agamben. To Agamben, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, the first thing that I read from Agamben, uh, because uh, it was a lovely bald person that had me read it, um, was uh, nudities and oh. a collection of, of, of essays, right? Or I mean, yeah, you know what I think happened? I think that person wanted to read that book himself, and then he assigned <laughs> that book in a graduate class. That's yeah, I think. think that that's almost exactly what happened. Yeah, because but, I don't um, think that's a good place to start at all. Did, did you? Do you think it is? I'm actually going to turn to say that it's got to be homo soccer. Uh, yeah, just yeah. It, um, but I, I will. This is what I will say about it is. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have it exactly. I'm looking at it, but I'm not going to pull it down from the shelf. Um, I'm not sure who did the translation, but I think it's beautifully written. And, and I, I think that there's something about, I think there's something at the, um, the, the level of the sentence for a Gombin that is, uh, really, really nice to read. I mean, maybe that's like a nothing comment, but no, like I think that, that's a great comment. I think it's yeah. true of all of his works. Like, yeah, isn't he a really yeah. great right? I mean, it's hard He's, to say because I don't think either of us read Italian, but um, no, no but I people that I know that read Italian say this is true in Italian too. That that mm-hmm. he's just a really of all the you know, like it's funny because Badu is a is also a dramatist, oh, that's right, you know, yeah, yeah, but 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 Agamben writes much more poetically, I think. I totally, yeah, the mm-hmm. um, from yeah. Petrarch to. Uh, Agamben, I think, is the you know, yeah, right, right. Yeah. but um, so you yeah, say homo soccer. It's got to be, yeah. And I yeah. think that, but what snapped it into into focus for me is um, uh, Guantanamo Bay, um, yeah. which is the. Um, but he mentions uh, that in in State of Exception. But you think homo right. soccer is a more co- like. It's almost like it's almost like he went into the future and he saw that and then he yeah. wrote that and he wrote that book. Like it's I I, I think it's um it's it's I think it's impossible to understand um uh Guantanamo Bay and like what's happening there without um the homo wow. soccer. And you know you know what's interesting too is that Guantanamo Bay I I I this is not in exactly in the news um but this will 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 date the um the the podcast but in the um you know the the Supreme Court ruling that said uh, the Trump's uh, Muslim ban is fine. Um, what was overtur- overturned was Kuramatsu, which allowed for the internment of the Japanese. That mm-hmm. was the legal justification for Guantanamo Bay. I'm wow. pretty sure, wow. and I don't know if that has any. I'm sh- sh- certain that it has no bearing on. Uh, like it's obviously they're not going to stop it or whatever. But no, they're not going to stop it. Yeah, but that's uh, that's sort of a, an interesting uh, link. But it. Um, I don't know. I think that goes into um, homo soccer and the you know sacred curse and all you know everything that that um, Agamben understands about uh, that particular kind of uh, of subject in uh, contemporary society. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think that's a good. I think that's a good choice. I I, I would probably say I I think a little more accessible is means without end. And okay. I, I sort of like it a little bit more, and it's. Um, mm. But I think homo soccer is a good. Is a good a good where to begin, and I agree with you that it does sort of shed interesting light on the contemporary situation. What I find fascinating about Agamben is that there's this whole divide among people that are sort of psychoanalytically inclined, yeah, about him. So like, mm-hmm. I have some friends that are like, "Oh, Agamben is just so," 
I have three. I'll, I'll, I'll outline the three positions in terms sure. of three friends, and I'll, I'll just say their first names. So, so, so one is named Paul, and his okay. view is that Agamben and psychoanalysis line up totally. So Agamben mm-hmm. and Lacan just they just line up, right? And then this other person who I'll just call Anna, her view <laughs> is that. They, not only do they not line up, they're opposed to each other. Okay. So that mm-hmm. so that you can't hold both positions at once, and so mm-hmm. her position is very anti Agamben because you she, know you should say you should say some people call Anna right just to so, leave yeah, it. Okay. Yes. All right, all right, all right, all right. And then yeah. this other person who some call, people call <laughs> some people call Francis. Okay. Um, her position is they are incompatible, but I mm-hmm. embrace both. Okay. Which is fascinating. So mm-hmm. so. Uh, you know, I think that so he, there's something about him. That Where do you extreme. land on that? Uh, I'm between Paul and Anna, so okay. I'm I'm sort of between. Like at times, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, yeah, the, the, he it's totally compatible. But then I think that there's you know there's the influence of Foucault on him, which I think yeah. is you know so he was influenced by the biopower. Right. By biopower and by, yeah. by Benjamin and Foucault, and so mm-hmm. it d- depends on which you like. At some moments, I feel like Foucault's winning out, and then at other moments, I feel like ben- when Benjamin wins out, I'm totally mm-hmm. with him. Okay, okay. And Foucault. So, so that's going to be the book I th- would say don't begin with, and it's Opus Dei. I think that's the more mm-hmm. like Foucauldian kind of, you know, and and mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like this is a problem in nudities too. You know, this like yeah. I think he. And I don't believe, I don't accept this at all. I think he thinks that we can, like, there's a utopia beyond the law. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I tough. feel yeah. like that's. I, I don't accept that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I. It's funny because I have a, I have a, a, sort of a communal. What does she call herself? A communalist, like a kind of not an anarchist, but a like mm-hmm. localist. Let's say. Okay. Total anti-statist friend. Mm-hmm. And and her position is, you know, let people decide for themselves locally and don't have any kind of law imposed mm-hmm. on them. And I think that's a Gambit, and she thinks that's a Gambit's position. Yeah. And that's, I think, what th- this person, Anna, thinks as well. And so, mm-hmm. Anna Cornville, I'm, just, I'm not going to say <laughs> the name. Uh, so... I, Some people call her Anna Cornville. They do I call mean, her Anna Cornville. A lot yeah, of people call her Anna Cornville. A lot of people call her Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but, uh, what's fascinating to me is that I don't think you could, sh- this person lives in Vermont, right? And so mm-hmm. it's easy to be a localist in yeah. Vermont and think, oh, it's, but you know, <laughs> nobody lives I've, there, li- right? I've lived yes. in, well, not just that, but like yeah. all the other people have kind of the right ideas, you know, not yeah, right yeah. they have the left ideas. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, of course. but if you live in Texas, like you're, you're, you want this, you want some state law to be. You know, to stop them yeah. from lynching you or what? You know, like mm-hmm, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, I just feel like it's a very kind of provincial position and, a, and way, mm-hmm. way, way too optimistic about the way people interact mm-hmm. with each other. So that's, I mean, that's my, I mean, that's my anti-Agamben screed. But I, 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 you know, I take your, I think you're right about what he has to say about Guantanamo and about Nazism. I think it's pretty great. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I mean, it, and yeah, state of exception too is uh, obviously important um, for it's it's like I mean the question well, it sort is of fits that, with Homo Soccer, I think. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a kind of continuity between those two. Yeah, things. yeah. I mean, it's not like the 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 sort of 
uh, conversation that we're having or in these, well, now three episodes, it's not like what's the most relevant of these of these people. But I do think that that is why I picked uh, Homo Soccer. I think it's the most relevant. Well, but uh, it also defines his thought in a way yeah. no other book does, I think. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it, like if, if, if he didn't write Homo Soccer, we would not be having, we would not know who yeah. Giorgio Combin is. Yeah, right. that's true. I, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, Judith Butler. Wow. That's yeah. Funny. Oh, can I, uh, can I start? Can I do both where to start in, where not to start? Yeah, do both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I have I a minority report on this one. So you have a minority can, report. That's yeah. okay. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, so I, um, I think that where unquestionably anybody should start reading, uh, Judith Butler, it has to be gender trouble. Um, and I think that the ideas that she puts forth there are like of all of the people who we've talked about, in these, uh, in these podcasts, I, I think I'm, I, I think I'm, I, I feel, what is it, what is it that, um, Jack Benny says in, uh, in To Be or Not To Be, um, I feel pretty, I feel pretty safe. I, and I sa- knew that you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel, no, no, no. He says, I feel pretty safe in saying like, what he asks how, um, oh. like how, how is Hitler's like house? Uh, I like, I feel it's pretty, uh, safe for me to say that it's lovely. Like yeah, wherever yeah. Hitler, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so anyway, I feel pretty safe in saying that um, there is not an idea that ha- has reached, I don't know, uh, a, a cultural ubiquity like um, how Butler uh, defines gender. And it's probably the uh, out of anyone we've talked about, it's probably like some version of like Freud's idea of, of uh, the interpretation of dreams that has yeah. gotten into into society and culture generally. Like I think Do you it think is she's maybe, the most famous person we're talking about? Yes, I do. I think I mean that book was a bestseller. More than Slavoj? <laughs> uh, I think more people yeah, I think it's well, more more people know the idea than they know more Slavoj's exactly. Ideas. That's that's yeah. what I was going to say, which is that people maybe don't know her name, but like everybody, oh, like you just like go to the, you know, classic like person on the street interview like is gender socially constructed? Like 8 out of 10 people are going to be like, yeah, obviously yeah, it is. Obviously. Like that's just I think that that's how big that that idea is. And so yeah. I think that to understand um Butler and Butler's importance, I think that you have to start there. Now, where not to start is Gender trouble, wow. and the okay. re- <laughs> and the reason why is that she writes um, uh, bodies that matter be- to correct a, like a widespread misunderstanding about gender trouble. But and she doesn't th- think she was wrong in that book. She no, just thinks she has to correct the correct way people it. read it, right? Yeah, and then she does it again in Psychic Life of Power. Now I want to read this. I have this up because uh, this is a uh, this is some some prep here. Okay. Um, in Psychic Life of Power, like in the middle of the book, um, uh, she writes this. This is page 144. If uh, anybody <laughs> knew I was going to talk. Following along. Well, yeah, following along and knew I was going to talk about Psychic Life of Power, yeah. Yeah, and they just pull it out and listen. Um, uh, she writes, uh, I would like first to reconsider the theory of gender as performative that I elaborated in Gender Trouble and then to turn to the question of gay melancholia and the political consequences of ungrievable loss. And now the reason why she does this, as I said about... Um, body that bodies that matter is that gender trouble got so big that it became widely misunderstood and and misread and it's almost and this is why you should start with gender trouble and this is why you shouldn't start with gender trouble is that the misreading of Butler I, I think is um, is is bigger than the reading of Butler 
Uh, yeah. And and she has tried to correct this, and she's going to try to correct it right here. So this is what she writes. Is, okay. There I argued that gender is performative, by which I meant that no gender is, quote, expressed by actions, gestures, or speech, but that the performance of gender produces retroactively the illusion that there is an inner gender core. And everybody thinks the opposite. Like that thing that I said, the, 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 the person on the street, I think your person on the street thinks the opposite. Of, of her point. And I, and I, you know, I know, I mean, this is obviously anecdotal, but like this happens all the time. I mean, this happened in the, you know, I, I'm, I'm at the end of my PhD, but like, I remember like taking classes, like, uh, there's a gender women's studies course. We read gender trouble and the, this point that she says here was widely misunderstood in the class that she was making the opposite point that gender is just action. It is just gesture and it is, it is speech and that, that the gender is expressed that way. And she says, obviously quite clearly, no gender is expressed by actions, gestures or speech, but that it is performance of gender. uh, But that the performance of gender produces retroactively the illusion that there is an inner gender core. That is the performance of gender retroactively produces the effect of some true or abiding feminine essence or disposition so that one cannot use an expressive model for thinking about gender. Moreover, I argue that gender is produced as a ritualized repetition of conventions and that this ritual is socially compelled in part by the force of compulsory heterosexuality. In this context, I would like to return to the question of drag and explain in clearer terms how I understand psychoanalysis to be linked with gender performativity and how I take performativity to be linked with melancholia. So it's in the middle of this book that she's written. I want to say this was is 95. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's been 90s. So that's what, six Seven years after uh, Gender Trouble, again, as I said, a I believe a New York Times bestseller. Um, like she has to correct the understanding again, but yeah. I think that she's probably just given up on this point. And there are people who are, of course, pe- people who um, I you know I, I would think who teach a gender women studies classes or like they go you know um, deep into this strain of of, of thought uh, with Butler, like they understand her point. But I think it's hard to separate exactly how big um, her, this book was culturally. And also it had that, that, that other edge, which is how much it had to be it, it's misread into culture. Other, to I, I, I totally agree with that point. And the other thing that it did is though, that it, it, it allowed people to divide between sex and gender, right? Which is, yes. yeah. which is what she's arguing against. Against. Right? Like, yeah. Her whole yeah. point is that it's gender the performance of gender that produces sex, like right, that produces right, our right. idea of what sexual difference is. So right. it's like to then to like say, oh, okay, gender is constructed, but sex isn't. That, right. That's totally against her, right. her point. You know, so right. I, th- I totally agree with you that there is a way in which that book has been, like its very popularity has almost been mm. a, a, the, the reason for its, its misunderstanding, I think. Yeah. But yeah. so, so I, I, I feel like, though, it's pretty smart. That, I, it's a smart book. I mean, and, and it's hard to read. I think that's probably the problem. Mm. And then so later, she tries to do make a simpler version. She writes mm. Undoing Gender. I'm sure you have oh, read yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, maybe you have read it. Um, I found that... Kind of, someone said to me, a queer theorist said to me, uh, yeah. you're teaching that? That's after Butler had a lobotomy. Oh, jeez. Uh, so, which was harsh. <laughs> but uh, it wasn't, I thought it was much, it was like, so the danger of gender trouble is that it's not dumbed down enough. And I think mm-hmm. the danger of undoing 
gender is that it's too dumbed down and then it's, there's a kind of a isn't it yeah. fascinating? Like, like this idea, so eventful, so popular, and 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 like the basis of of like her ascension, and it's like, and she deserves like all of it. Like, you know, yeah. it's it's a great intervention, but like has had to spend so much of the rest of her career trying to correct readings of it, and nobody wants it. Like, you know, like she cannot reach the pe- for the people who. For the people who already got her, like this person who said that to you, for the people who already got her, like they got it the first time. Yeah, they and didn't then for yeah. yeah, and for the people who who didn't get don't it, get they're it, they're not going to subsequently get it. No, because they don't want to. Like they're they're comfortable in the in the misreading. You yeah, know, I think that's true. Yeah, I want to. I want to give my minority report on where to start. It's, sure, um, sure. It's it's a book called Subjects of Desire. It's her first book. Huh. It's oh. a book on Hegel. Which, of I course, is why, why I want to start there. <laughs> to I pick think, a trend through yeah, your recommendations, right? I know. I feel <laughs> yeah. like it's the great sort of undis... I think it's a really, really good book on Hegel, and I think it's her best book. But the problem is wow. that it's... I, I sort of say, ironically, where to start. I kind of agree with you that it has to be gender trouble. Mm-hmm. You said... You sort of said, categorically, it has to be gender... And I, I, so I, I, yeah. kind of, I, I think that's probably right. But yeah. I feel like... Subject of Desire, really. So it's about the French, the way that Hegel influenced French thought in the 20th century. So like mm-hmm. through Kajev, and then yeah. there's a chapter on Sartre and Merleau-Ponty. So so it's really, really, um, it just, it's, it's a really sophisticated reading of Hegel. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's just, you know, I, I it, it sort of saddens me that she became a gender theorist and not a, and didn't sort of go down. Mm. I guess it's like the road not, as you see it as the road not. Yeah, road not. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, And I do think, like, I I wonder if, um, this is something that occurred to me, I think we mentioned this when we talked about um, Joan Kopchak in the first uh, Where to Start, um, that, of course, uh, uh, Kopchak writing in uh, Sex and the Euthanasia of Reason, the, like, her, like, really, really, really excellent uh, take on 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 Butler's system that still holds up today, which is that like um, you know uh, gender and sex are do like they do not show that these fields are are incomplete uh, that the, these are incomplete fields like it's the the incompleteness that like the impossibility of it is what completes it. It's right. similar to what we were talking about with Budju and the infinity. And, and, and right. it's, it's, it, you know, it, it, it is um, maybe the best uh, example of the, of the real um, as well. in like uh, thinking about that in terms of uh, sexuality. So, but I wonder, and we did say this at the time we talked about Joan, that Butler yeah. has never once to our knowledge or to Joan's knowledge, I think mentioned her name either no. orally or in writing. So that's a fascinating. A- absolutely thing. not. But I think this is what I what I I I actually uh, came to this sort of uh, like realization this morning when I was looking at that section of Psychic Life of Power again, and then I was thinking about bodies that matter, and then you brought up uh, undoing gender. Is it almost all of this does attempt to answer what Joan identified like immediately, but it yeah. just doesn't men- mention her at all. And, and, and I think that like, so what, what it's almost like, um, Freya and, and Bertrand Russell that like what Joan Kopchak yeah, noticed yeah. was a, f- a flaw so fundamental that she uh, spent her whole life trying to yeah. correct it. Yeah. 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 That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, she has a kind of vexed relationship with psychoanalysis that she's always trying to work right. out as well, I think. In Psycho Life of Power, it's more friendly than I think it yeah, comes it is off more in friendly. Gender I Trouble. Know. Yeah. I know. I know. I once heard her give a talk at a psychoanalysis conference, which I thought was sort of weird. Mm. But, you know, it fits, I think, with Psychic Life of Power, that, that kind of fits. And then mm. 
I think her and Slavoj have kind of had, I mean, they're very friendly. I mean, yeah. he has no, I mean, they've argued, but he has no kind of ill feelings toward her, which I think, got, I mean, to me, I sort of, we've been kind of kidding around about not saying Joan's name, but to <laughs> me, the fact that she's, like, I think it speaks well of him that he's friendly with her, and I think it speaks well of her that she's friendly. You know, they're kind of, mm-hmm. they have this different thing, but they're willing to, to you know, to, mm-hmm. to still see that kind of, they have a sort of fundamental intellectual comradeship, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did that yeah. book together. The, yeah, they did a book, yeah, with With, yeah, Lock, with uh, Lock, Lock. <laughs> I think Slavoj feels a lot less friendly toward him, but <laughs> that's uh, that, that, that will be for our un, ever never oh. to be, never to be our aired Gossip theory, gossip. gossip yeah, uh, that's podcast. Yeah, to be just, to be released uh, as only a, as on a, our deaths. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was gonna say a dead man switch kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Where, uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, to to be put on the internet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so we try to keep these things uh, like an analytic session. We try to keep these things like an hour. Um, we've got four minutes. I can see. Well, let's let's talk about Derrida for four okay. minutes. So yeah. that's okay. I don't th- I think he's worth more than four, but he does yeah. have his his intellectual star has sort of fallen. I think in the ten years, eleven years since he died. So yeah, I yeah. I my my. My take on this is going to be not, it's going to be not that representative. It's going to be Specters of Marx. I think it's very readable. Oh, interesting. I think it's it's the most political uh, version of him. It's a little misleading. I think if you want to get the early Derrida, I would mm-hmm. read this little book called Positions, where he's interviewed by t- a couple of Marxists, although that's probably, again, too <laughs> political. So I'm drawn constantly <laughs> to the political. Um, no, but I like I like that you're giving a, a recommendation of interview, like I did with yeah, uh, like yeah, I, I felt so at your nice. level. Yeah, that's yeah. That's yeah. Uh, <laughs> I told so you I'd bring you down. Yeah, I I read I I first read Structure, Sign, and Play, the one on Levy, and that just I that was like Greek to me when I was a first year master's mm. student. So mm. uh, I wouldn't recommend that. And of Grimatol, I just think those books are too hard, and and mm. so Positions is not that bad. It's interviews, and mm. but Spectres of Marx isn't bad at all, and it has a lot of stuff on Hamlet. And it's kind oh, of, cool. it's, you know, it's not funny because he's never funny, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, do you yeah, mention him in your comedy book? I can't remember. Like, well, I, no, I don't think I do, That's, yeah. but I should have, cause he's not funny and he he's would not think funny, he would yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, to me, it's like the, you know, it's, you know, there's this theory of comedy that it's all comedy is absurd. Like the absurd mm-hmm. is the genesis right. of comedy. But then of course these Theorists that show absurdity of things like Derrida and, of course, Albert Camus and, and uh, yeah. Sartre, you know, like they're, they're, they're never funny. They're yeah. never funny. It's not, there's mm. nothing funny. I mean, Beckett's kind of funny. Beckett's funny. He's yeah. funny. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I, think you, I think he's funny because there's also a little hint of transcendence in all this. Mm. I think that's true. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, that's a, yeah. Let's, let's not try to go back onto that well-worn <laughs> well well worn. Uh, Turf. Anyway, yeah, yeah but, yeah. but he's not funny, Derrida. I don't think there's a single joke, and there's never there's no jokes in Heidegger's work either, which is that's probably what led him to be a Nazi. I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that be that answer is too nice. I don't think that's true. But, yeah. Um, they're funny my, Nazis. Yeah. Well, uh, only in to be or not to be. The uh, <laughs> the the pick. My pick is gonna be. Um, uh, Freud in the scene of writing, which oh. refers back to my that's Freud in writing pick. indifference, right? That is in writing indifference. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna take that that essay by itself, or okay. that chapter, I guess. It's okay. probably a better way of putting it. Um, 
where he talks about uh, a note upon the mystic writing pad. And it's great that he talks about it because, I mean, I brought that up. So it's maybe a little bit of a selfish recommendation for oh, me. But, yeah. But um, or I think it, it's don't you think it nicely kind of captures the essence of what deconstruction is trying to do? I really do. Yeah. yeah. And I think and I think it's a really he what he adds to Freud's text is the word palimpsest. And, oh. and the notion, I, I think, um, like thinking about the, um, like that's what Freud is talking about with the yeah. writing pad. That's what Freud mm. is talking about with the unconscious. And we're talking about layers, um, like, you know, on top of each other and, and traces obviously. Yeah. And that, I think you read that. And if you are psychoanalytically inclined, which I imagine most of our listeners are, you read that. I think you get, I think you get yeah. Derrida and, and it's, it's maybe the, you come away with the with the friendliest attitude toward Derrida, um, yeah. uh, uh, because of that. Because it, it's it's a it's a it's a nice. I think it's a great reading of the the Freud text, and it does. I think, I think that chapter does. Um, it does what like a good philosophical argument should do. It should go back to something that like at the time that he was writing about it, people had were not writing about a note upon yeah. the mystic writing pad. People still don't I really write about it that much. Um, and he, so he gives a reading to this thing that was under discussed. He gives a good reading of it. He uses yep. it to further his own thing. And yeah, that's it's, good. and within, you know, and that's, I think yeah. that's like base level. That's what you should be doing. You re- that's what you're you looking something. for. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. I, yeah. So I I'm going to add one more. So I think oh, um, his very early book, Speech and Phenomena, it's a book on oh, Husserl. Okay. I oh, think nice. it's maybe one of the best books on Husserl. And I think it, it what it does is it shows how deconstruction is really a response to phenomenology and not a response to like the history of Western metaphysics, which is how... Mm. So when Derrida sort of expands thing, yeah. it to that, right, mm-hmm. that's the orthodox view. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the misstep, but I think mm-hmm. he does have a pretty good critique of phenomenology in speech and phenomena. It's also very readable. So that's my favorite. That's that. Mm. Again, that's not a where to begin. I'm going to stick with Spectre's marks, but that's sure. my favorite. My where not to begin. I have two. One is Gla. Do you know the book? The book Gla. No, I don't. So know Gla is about a. It's about 600 pages, and it's humongous. It's like it's it's too big to fit on your bookshelf, which is. Jeez, you know, yeah, a priori bad. annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's too tall. It doesn't, it's the wrong yeah, 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 size it of a book. Yeah. And then it has two columns. And so the columns, one is a is a commentary on Jean Genet, the French okay. playwright, and the yeah. other is a commentary on Hegel. And okay. there's no relation to the columns at all, and they never intersect, and you just have to read. So, you, you, so it's up to you as a reader, like, do you, I read all the one and then all of the other? Jeez. Or do you... But it's this is like House of Leaves. You know this book? Mark I do Danielewski? know that book. Yeah, yeah that yeah, uh, it's yeah. so tedious. That, but that anyway. it is. It, it comes off to me like everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people think it's like this is a great literary experiment. And I think, well, if you're writing a book that's four books, it means that you didn't have confidence didn't have in any one single book. one right. of those stories. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's I felt like that's a total that that would you know I just because I wrote a book on Hegel, I had to read it and. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't. Think, I don't think I even cited it one time. So it's just, it's a total. So it was a waste of your time. Total waste of my time. <laughs> the other one, I, I think the one, but but no one would start with Glaude. No one would moron. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I so, but I, I think of grammatology as some place people would start, and I would not yeah. start there. I think it's you just say no. it's just too hard. Yeah, mm. it's just too hard. And you can get, I think, from the essay you recommended, or from yeah. other little essays, I think you can get the basic sort of what idea he's up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. Cool. That's All great. Right, Ryan. All right. So good talking to you. And good talking to you too, Todd. Over and out. Over and out. All right. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs>